0: Hi, everybody. Cheryl Ackeson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Atkinson Podcast from JustTheNews.com. I hope you'll check out all of the Just The News podcasts wherever you like to listen to your podcasts, but you can go to JustTheNews.com and see the list of them on the homepage. A reminder, it's time to pre-order my new book, Slanted, how the news media taught us to love censorship and hate journalism. It's a great way to take care of your holiday shopping because the book will be out November 24th. You can order Slanted anywhere. Today, I'm gonna take a look at the trend where the media and political opponents demand the other side disavow or condemn one thing or another. It's little more than silly wordplay, and we'll dig into the case of President Trump and white supremacy. Today, we're going to talk about something that has bothered me for quite a while, and I know it has bothered a lot of other ordinary folk out there. It's the folly of the media demanding that politicians disavow or condemn one thing or another. It's all the rage, you know, political figures are urged to apologize for something offensive that they said or did. Their opponents will hound them and maybe even dictate the precise verbiage that the offender is supposed to use in his mea culpa or else they will continue to be hounded. Usually the language that's suggested is to disavow or condemn. I mean, words we don't even normally use in our ordinary daily life. The funny thing is, though, when these political figures who are targeted apologize, it typically doesn't change anything. Really, they're only usually sorry that they got caught in the first place. It doesn't change how they feel. It doesn't really change how they felt at the time they did the supposedly offensive act. It's a game, and everybody knows it, but it seems like they all still play it because the media demands it. Now, there's a related phenomenon, which is really what I want to focus on today, and it's the trend of politicians demanding that other politicians disavow or condemn something that they did not themselves do. In other words, it's not even for their own offensive behavior. It's for something that somebody is tying to them, whether fairly or not. And the media gets in on the game of making sure that this thing is tied to the political figure and the, the apology is demanded. Of course, the goal in these instances usually isn't really to get the politician to disavow the thing. And instead of Saving him, if the politician does disavow, the expression of regret may ultimately end his political career because then people will say and the media will say that he or she admitted it or tied themselves to the controversial act. So such is the case with the demands, the incessant demands that President Trump disavow racism or white supremacy or some other variation of hateful behavior based on skin color I think it's worth noting how often he has explicitly done so. I think as much as, if not more so, than any other modern politician, and quite possibly because his enemies so frequently demanded of him. To be nonpartisan, I, by the way, put the calls for former Vice President Joe Biden to disavow Antifa violence into the same basic category, because you could argue that Biden took too long to disavow it, or you can quibble with the wording that he chose to use. But if the media were to demand that Biden use specific prescribed wording to condemn a particular kind of violence during most every subsequent public appearance he makes, they don't do that, by the way, but if the media were to do that to Biden, it would really only serve to tar him with Antifa's bad acts. That's really the purpose. And as I've recounted in my new book, Slanted, The Trump as a racist invention, that narrative, was first popularized back in August of 2016 or so. Now, I did find references where the New York Times and others kind of flirted with the label months earlier, but it was really the smear group Media Matters and its affiliates that bore down on the Trump as a racist invention after these other narratives, Trump is a clown and Trump is dark and dangerous, didn't seem to put off his supporters, in fact, He only seemed to grow more popular. So you might not believe it, but as the liberal University of Texas professor Alberto Martinez tracked, the media's description of Trump radically changed when he entered the race for president. Martinez, I quote in my second book, The Smear, I think he's brilliant in his analysis of the media's treatment of a lot of issues, but particularly as a Bernie Sanders supporter, which he was. He still found it appalling, he said, at how the media treated and misreported on President Trump. He's written extensively about that and analyzed it. So anyway, he tells me about how Trump used to be described, for example, by CNN. He says, in 2004, a CNN documentary described Trump as beloved, the world's most popular businessman, literally the gold standard, a national phenomenon The CNN documentary also said, Trump has always worked hard and lived clean. He is really very smart, very sassy, very tough, but a warm and caring guy. So this is how CNN, which now, as we all know, really does not hide its distaste for President Trump, but this is how they reported on him back in 2004. Then over about one week's time in 2016 during the campaign, The collective Media Matters propaganda groups, including Blue Nation Review, and again, I wrote about this in The Smear, my last book, they began a theme and memes of Trump and his supporters as white nationalists. This is really where I trace the beginning, the genesis of all of this. In just six days, Blue Nation Review published articles titled the following, Trump Shakes Up Staff Embraces White Nationalism. Trump's purity test for immigrants is more evidence of his white nationalist plans. Trump is seeking a white nationalist awakening, not the White House. New video, Trump is now leading a white nationalist awakening. Is Trump's new America First app designed to connect white nationalists? And Trump delivers anti-Black rant. You're living in poverty. Your schools are no good. So again, this is the Media Matters. Blue Nation Review collection of articles, propaganda, in a period of about six days in 2016. You can find those yourself. If you just Google Blue Nation Review and Trump or white nationalism, you can see these articles. So somehow, according to Trump's opponents, Trump had fooled Hollywood and the media for about 70 years before he was unmasked as an unmitigated racist that they say he is today. Look at a few other facts here. Yes, Mar-a-Lago was segregated when Trump bought it, and yes, he sued the city of Palm Beach to open it up to Blacks and Jews for the first time, but that was just for business reasons, everybody says. And yes, he was praised by civil rights activist Jesse Jackson, an African-American leader, but Trump's enemies say that was in the old days before we knew about Trump. And yes, there are African Americans like Dr. Ben Carson, HUD secretary, and Dr. Jerome Adams, the surgeon general, who hold high positions within the administration. And yes, Trump holds black leadership events at the White House. He's been endorsed by many black ministers. He's been thanked by the head of the United Negro College Fund for providing permanent funding for historically black colleges and universities, something like $250 million a year. Yes, Trump threw his support behind Senator Tim Scott's idea for opportunity zones to benefit minority neighborhoods, something that Senator Scott and African Americans said President Obama did not want to do. And yes, Trump led the country as the unemployment rate for blacks fell to its lowest ever. But according to his enemies, all of that's just a smokescreen. Trump disguising his true racism is a subterfuge that's so clever, it's almost as clever as him, they say, being a woman hater, but naming so many women to top spots in his administration, or being an immigrant hater, though he married two immigrants and his children are children of immigrants or being anti-Semitic while moving the U.S. Embassy to Israel's capital of Jerusalem and winning praise from Israel's prime minister. So what will he do next? I mean, his enemies, and I'm being sarcastic here, probably think he'll adopt a dog to hide the fact that he hates animals because he's so clever. The point is, Trump's critics claim they know what he's really all about in terms of racism because... They say he refuses to disavow white supremacy. Now, the folly of this line of thinking is exposed when one looks at the record of all of this, and I dug into transcripts, articles from the past, other public record information. Trump has indeed disavowed racism, but when he did, it really hasn't changed much of anything about how his enemies and the media portray him. As early as 2000, Trump worked to distance himself from racial hatred. There was an interview with NBC's Matt Lauer, and he was talking to Trump in 2000 about the Reform Party, which Trump called self-destructing because of its affiliation with racists. And here's how the question and answer went. Lauer asked Trump, what do you see as the biggest problem with the Reform Party right now? And Trump's answer was, well, you've got David Duke, the former leader of the racist group KKK, just joined, a bigot, a racist, a problem, said Trump. I mean, he went on to say, this is not exactly the people you want in your party. The same year, even the New York Times reported that Trump stated, quote, the reform party now includes a Klansman, Mr. Duke, a neo-Nazi, Mr. Buchanan, and a communist, Ms. Fulani. This is not company I wish to keep. You can look up that article for yourself in the New York Times from back then. It's titled Reform Bid Said to Be a No-Go for Trump. Reform Bid Said to Be a No-Go for Trump. That's in the New York Times on February 14, 2000, acknowledging explicitly, although you would never know it now, that Trump was disavowing racism, Nazis, the Klan, and the Klansman David Duke. In June of 2015, when Trump was a candidate, you may have forgotten this, but he called on South Carolina to remove the Confederate flag from the state capitol. Then in July of 2015, there was a high-profile firing of a Trump campaign staffer whose past racist Facebook posts had surfaced. He was fired from the Trump campaign when that happened. And then in 2016, David Duke's name came up again when Trump learned that he'd been endorsed by Duke and by the way, the news was presented to him by the media as if it confirmed his supposed racism, when Trump learned he'd been endorsed, he disavowed the support at the media's urging. And he used that word that they want him to use, disavow. Again, not a word we ever typically use in normal conversation. Here's what he said at a press briefing on February 25th, 2015. He said, David Duke endorsed me. Okay, all right. I disavow. Okay. But the media was unsatisfied and continued to press him. So Trump tweeted the same thing a couple of days later. Does this sound familiar? February 28, 2015. And he included a clip from the earlier news conference where he'd said it. And he tweeted, As I stated at the press conference on Friday regarding David Duke, I disavow. No mention, by the way, in the media that he had said much the same thing 16 years earlier. You can look at the article in The Hill where it says, Trump brushes off David Duke's support. That's the title. Trump brushes off David Duke's support from February 26th, 2016. They reported on that, but it's like he never did it. In October, 2016, when asked about white nationalist groups, because remember this was becoming a theme pushed by Obama, Clinton supporter and propaganda smear artist, David Brock, his affiliates, The bloggers and other media, such as Vox, Salon, you know, the usual suspects who follow what and further the Media Matters propaganda. Anyway, in October 2016, when asked about white nationalist groups, the Trump campaign stated, quote, we have rejected and rebuked any groups and individuals associated with a message of hate and will continue to do so. We have never intentionally engaged directly or indirectly with such groups and have no intention of ever doing so. In fact, We've gone a step further and said that we don't want votes from people who think this way. Pretty clear. And you can look up that quote in an article that actually tried to then portray Trump as the opposite in Politico. It's titled, How White Nationalists Learn to Love Donald Trump. So even as he's disavowing and trying to use the very language they want him to use in the media, they're still writing about him in a way that ties him to the controversy. This was an article in Politico on October 25th, 2016. After a short break, we will pick up this storyline and talk to you about the times that Trump disavowed the same thing after he was elected and yet continued to be called upon by the media as if he had never done such a thing. Back in a minute. We are back and we are continuing dissecting this whole movement whereby the media and certain political enemies of others demand that their opponents disavow or condemn something that they didn't even do but they've been associated with or linked to. But the disavowal and the questions to disavow and condemn serve the purpose of linking the figure to the controversy. So after Trump won election, after frequently he and his campaign distancing, disavowing white supremacy, white nationalism, that sort of thing, Trump then disavowed what the media called white supremacists who cheered his election. Trump has condemned white supremacist supporters, noted Fortune, in November of 2016 while going on nonetheless to question Trump's supposedly racist tendencies. Remember I said, The disavowal and the condemnations are used actually to tie the person to the controversy rather than to allow the person to distance himself or herself from the controversy at hand. It's a narrative. It's a tactic. You could look up this article that was in Fortune, but actually it came originally from the Associated Press. And it was from November 26, 2016, after Trump was elected. It's called, Trump Still Navigating? white supremacist support. Remember, he's disavowed it. He said they don't want the votes from those types of people. He specifically discussed it, but he's still being tied to it in the media. Then in August of 2017, most everybody remembers there were these Charlottesville protests, and a woman was killed in an apparent racist attack at the rally in Charlottesville. And afterwards, Trump stated, quote, We condemn in the strongest possible terms, use the word condemn just like they want. We condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides and added that he and Virginia's governor had, quote, agreed that the hate and the division must stop and stop right now. We have to come together as Americans with love for our nation and true affection, true affection for each other. So after that statement which I think is pretty clear unless you're playing word games playing a political game after that associated press and others immediately published articles with titles like why won't Donald Trump condemn white nationalism So then in a statement after all of these articles on August 14th Trump became more explicit and here he stated quote as i have said many times before no matter the color of our skin we all live under the same laws, we all salute the same great flag, and we are all made by the same almighty God. We must love each other, show affection for each other, and unite together in condemnation of hatred, bigotry, and violence. We must rediscover the bonds of love and loyalty that bring us together as Americans. Racism is evil. Can't I think he can't get more explicit than that. He goes on to say, and those who cause violence in its name are criminals and thugs including the KKK, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and other hate groups that are repugnant to everything we hold dear as Americans. We are a nation founded on the truth that all of us are created equal. We are equal in the eyes of our creator. We are equal under the law, and we are equal under our constitution, those who spread violence in the name of bigotry strike at the very core of America. Let me read that really operative sentence from August 14th that you would never know He's made, if you listen to many media reports today. He said, Racism is evil, and those who cause violence in its name are criminals and thugs, including the KKK, neo Nazis, white supremacists, and other hate groups that are repugnant to everything we hold dear as Americans. A day later, the media continued its questioning, and Trump again reiterated what he'd said while adding, as part of this explanation, that he thought there were very fine people on both sides of the Charlottesville protest, which was the protest over removing historic statues. And among the fine people, he said, were people that went because they felt very strongly about the monument to Robert E. Lee, a great general whether you like it or not. But then this is something that is almost always left out when this quote is referred to in the news. Trump went on to explicitly state that when he said there were very fine people on both sides, he was not referring to racists. Here's the quote. He said, I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists because they should be condemned totally. So there he is once again using one of the magic words condemned as if that might satisfy his critics this time, but it didn't to this day, many still falsely report that Trump had referred to neo-Nazis and racists as very fine people. The opposite, the exact opposite of what he said and did. Even the left-leaning factcheck.org takes Trump's side on that point, claiming that Trump has condemned white supremacists and that Biden is incorrect when he claims Trump hasn't done so. That brings us to September of 2017. Trump is still being hounded by the press, and he issues another statement opposing bigotry in all forms. He says, quote, no matter the color of our skin, our ethnic heritage, we all live under the same laws, we all salute the same great flag, and we are all made by the same almighty God. Similar to things that he's said or statements that he's issued in the past. Another incident came up in August of 2019. There were two really horrific mass shootings, including one in El Paso, Texas. And after that, Trump stated that, quote, the shooter in El Paso posted a manifesto online consumed by racist hate. In one voice, our nation must condemn racism, bigotry, and white supremacy. These sinister ideologues must be defeated, Hate has no place in America. Hatred warps the mind, ravages the heart, and devours the soul. We have asked the FBI to identify all further resources they need to investigate and disrupt hate crimes and domestic terrorism, whatever they need. Again, he says, in one voice, our nation must condemn, used the right word, condemn, racism, bigotry, and white supremacy. Very explicit. And by the way, that prompted... A perfectly accurate headline, surprisingly, in the New York Times on August 6, 2016, the headline read, Trump urges unity versus racism. That is exactly what he had done in that statement. But that unleashed a whole new controversy. And I wrote about this in my new book, Slanted, in the chapter that dissects the devolution of the New York Times, all the things that have gone wrong. Shortly after publication of that perfectly accurate headline, Trump urges unity versus racism, prominent Democrats argued that the Times should not have printed what Trump said. They claim that Trump is so evil that the newspaper should have concluded that what Trump said was not what he actually meant. In other words, when it's recognized that he has condemned or disavowed what they wanted him to condemn or disavow, now we're supposed to conclude that he didn't mean it and therefore that shouldn't be reported. And buckling, under the critics, the Times executive editor, Dean Bakay, he changed the headline from one that said Trump urged unity versus racism to assailing hate but not guns. See how quickly it turned to a different narrative. Then there was another step taken that I don't think was widely reported. In April of this year, the Trump administration designated a Russian white supremacist group as a terrorist organization. You can just Google that topic and you'll find reports about it. There's one in BBC from April 6th entitled, Russian White Supremacists are Terrorists, Says Trump. That's a pretty big step. That hadn't been done before. And then in the first presidential debate not long ago against Joe Biden, this whole cycle started again because the media cried foul when the moderator, Chris Wallace of Fox, ask Trump again to disavow white supremacy, mind you, without noting that he'd ever done so. And when Trump answered, sure, name the group, meaning what exactly needs to be said to satisfy the media? And he invited Wallace to give him the words he's supposed to use. Wallace did not. He moved on. And at that point, some in the media and Trump's enemies then cited that whole exchange as proof positive of Trump's racist feelings. And so the question was raised at the next White House briefing. Again, this gets repeated over and over again. Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany pointed to the president's explicit condemnations of white supremacy. And some of the media claimed that her answer, pointing to the president's previous explicit condemnations, that her answer was evidence of a dodge, further evidence of racism. And finally, on October 1st, President Trump stated in an interview and tweeted, quote, I've said it many times and let me be clear again, I condemn the KKK, I condemn all white supremacists, I condemn the Proud Boys, which is a group that the media had asked about. And then most recently, President Trump was asked the same questions again by the media. So I guess this isn't going away, but I think when you put it all together, the example makes it clear that disavowal in today's media environment it doesn't do the trick demanding condemnation has become a tactic to tar the politician with the negative behavior that he's supposed to condemn i hope you enjoyed today's podcast check out justthenews.com and don't forget to subscribe to the Cheryl Ackerson podcast my other podcast, Full Measure After Hours, and all of the Just the News podcasts, wherever you like to listen. And when you look at the recent example of the big tech censorship, the Twitter censorship of the recent story about former Vice President Joe Biden's son, Hunter, and his alleged connections to financial interests in foreign countries that many find questionable, the one-sided censorship that's taking place that's completely on point with my new book, Slanted, subtitled, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. I talk about this phenomenon. I talk about what's behind it. I talk about who's pulling the strings. I hope you will consider pre-ordering Slanted today, a great holiday gift for somebody. It'll be out November 24th. Take care of your holiday shopping, all in one fell swoop for the person who has everything they don't yet have, Slanted. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.